0: Five, four, three, two, one, zero. Ignition. Lift off. Hey, everybody. I'm Brian Clapp, VP of Content and Engaged Learning for WorkinSports.com, and this is the WorkinSports Sports Podcast. One of my favorite parts of my work week is writing the intro to our WorkinSports Sports Podcast guest interviews. It gives me a chance to dig into the coming topic, to set the stage, to throw out some thoughts and opinions that I have. It's awesome. Puts a little flair on it. Well, this week, I want to shut up and hand over the reins to our guest, Callie Franklin, VP of Human Resources for NYCFC of the MLS. This interview is on the longer side because Callie is amazing. She's informative and so, so passionate about her role in human resources, representing and working with the people inside nycfc we're going to discuss hiring trends for the coming year diversity and inclusion their organizational approach to coronavirus and staffing how you should handle video interviews and everything in between so much more it's great so buckle up and get your notepad ready because i personally took four pages of notes from this conversation seriously i did here's Callie franklin vp of human resources at nycfc hi Callie. how are you doing today
1: i'm doing well how are you doing brian
0: I'm doing great. And I'm super excited. that We finally got to have this conversation because as you and I were talking beforehand, I mean, we've we scheduled this early, we had some problems with meeting times, we had some technology issues. So it's so great that we're able to circle back and have this conversation because you have such an important voice in the talent acquisition and hiring side of sports. So thank you so much for joining me.
1: Absolutely. I'm happy to be here. I know with everything going on in the world, especially in 2020. And as we look to begin 2021, people are ready for a fresh start. So being able to have a conversation with you to help people start that journey, especially as it relates to sports. um, I'm really excited to be here.
0: Yeah, you're so right. I mean, like, we're already going off script, which I love. Uh, we, you're so right in that 2020 was tough, and we'll talk a lot about that, and we'll, we'll give some perspective to it. But you're right. I mean, everybody's looking at this and saying, okay, I'm ready to start. Let's let's, let's get things going. And I love the fact that earlier in December, you, one of the reasons I, I w- identified with you and wanted to have you on the show is because I knew you were doing this as part of NYCFC, doing some career seminars and trying to help people out. So So thank you. Let's jump into this. I love – origination stories. I love learning how people started and got to where they are now, because I think that really aligns with where our audience is. A lot of our audience are trying to figure out, like, where do I fit? Where am I? What am I doing? How does this work for me? Your career arc makes a lot of sense. You were a sociology major at Georgia State and have worked in HR for most of your career. Did you always have a pretty clear vision no. of who you like to be every, or did you kind not, of fall into like this over time? Not like everyone,
1: but like most people, when I was in college, <laughs> I was a career college student. I enjoyed everything um, involved with being in school, being a student, all of the parties, all of the camaraderie, all of the friendship, all of the mistakes and errors. So I am one of those people who thoroughly enjoyed college. So I don't often look back trying to be there again. Um, when I graduated... I didn't know what I was going to do with a sociology degree. I knew I didn't want to teach. I knew I didn't want to go into research, but I enjoyed talking about people and I enjoyed figuring out how relationships influence people and influence decisions. So I fell into HR. Uh, It wasn't anything I was looking for at all. Interestingly enough, um, my father owned airport concessions at the time in Atlanta and it was a family owned business. I have two older siblings, a brother and a sister. My sister was in charge of marketing. My brother was a, had a master's in finance. My aunt was the GM. My father was the owner. So it's starting to sound like one of the only gaps was HR. So I was just thrown in and said, well, you're the outgoing extrovert. We'll just put you in HR. It was a bit of a experiment. <laughs> and I, I just, I took it and I ran with it. I used those, you know, relationship theories and everything from college that I learned about how to motivate and influence and inspire. And I just, I took the show on the road in the HR field.
0: I love that. I mean, it's it's like uh, careers aren't always planned out perfectly. Right. We always talk about that. It's like you step up, you step sideways, you go this way, you go that way. And the fact that you just were kind of running with the flow and seeing what needed to be done and doing it is great. So that didn't just stay there though, you grew fast. You held high-level roles at HR in Target, at Target, Microsoft, and other major organizations. In 2017, you jumped into sports with AMB Sports and Entertainment, Ownership Group, Arthur Blank, Ownership Group, The Falcons, etc. Um, and now with NYCFC. So interestingly enough, I enjoyed industry? HR. Why, why did you end up this, here? You
1: mentioned some, some very large companies, but I, I started in retail. And the beauty of retail, especially at Target, is I learned HR. I learned the the foundation and the fundamentals of HR. And if you think about it this way, in any big box retail environment, you have to duplicate a process over and over again in multiple states with multiple teams various hours yeah. so you think at the time there were roughly 2000 stores so they had to make sure target had to make sure that people understood the compliance laws and regulations in their store and then they had to duplicate that so i learned fundamentally the importance of hr in my days at target and then i jumped into distribution and better understood supply chain And then I jumped over into technology and what I enjoyed most about Microsoft is at Target, we always talked about a toolkit and building your skills and capabilities or giving you tools for your toolkit. So when you learn how to manage conflict, you could consider that a wrench for your toolkit. When you learn how to recognize and and, uh, motivate your team, that could be a hammer and you put that in your toolkit. And what Microsoft was able to provide me was an opportunity to build. So I joined this global organization that had never explored uh, retail. At the time, Steve Ballmer was the CEO. Steve Ballmer had a background at Walmart. So when we started going at Microsoft into hardware instead of software, the thought was, let's create a retail store. So I was able to take everything I learned from Target and help Microsoft build a retail store platform. And it was one of the most uh, invigorating times of my career, because to be completely honest, talking to to this audience, you know, they'll in life, there'll be times that people give you an opportunity. that's a little big for 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 your skill set. The shoes a little large and that's what was provided for me at Microsoft is a shoe. If I'm a size eight and a half, the shoe they gave me might have been a ten, <laughs> and it gave me the opportunity to soar with my strength. Everything I did well, but I also had to make mistakes to learn. I also was given a little extra room and it was something that they they presented as being very important in that environment. Microsoft, and I credit them to this day for that, talks about failing and failing fast. You're not gonna innovate anything if you're not failing. If you're going to to class, if you're going to work and your whole goal is to stay in the center lane and stay off the radar, you're not gonna do anything amazing. If you wanna do something amazing in life, there is some risk involved. And most of us will tell you who are more advanced in our career, those lessons come from the failures. When we see it, it's high five, it's party, it's celebrate. But when you fail, you typically are sitting by yourself in a room, <laughs> probably close to tears, but you're trying to figure out what you could have done differently. So I think one of the most important characteristics of you know, wanting to grow, you mentioned that that career path and that progression. It is because I am not afraid to fail. I am perfectly comfortable being accountable with making mistakes because I have the best intentions when I'm trying to move towards that goal. And if I see the shoes a little too big, it's give me an extra pair of socks. Can I get another person in these shoes with me? And that way we can definitely deliver on this goal. So I think that the progression is an example of just some some core some core focuses and uh, values that I've had in my life. And one of them is just the importance of failure at NYCFC. When I joined, I talked about failure for the first three months and I know they thought I was crazy, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm like, we're not going to be great if we don't fail. And I challenge people at our club, when is the last time you failed? And I don't mean an exam. I don't mean woke up late for a meeting. I mean, did something and forgot to take that partner. I mean, didn't give that feedback that would have made this project more fluid. Like those are the failures where you rethink life. (laughs) That's what you've got to seek out.
0: It's so true. I I was thinking of this as you were talking that, We had on a mental skills coach Hannah Hussman last year at this time and one of the things she talked about often which really resonated with me is that when things are going really well we don't tend to analyze why it went well we tend to celebrate right but when things go really bad we tend to analyze it to the nth degree and figure out why so you're right that's why the success comes from the failure is because you take more time thinking about what happened and when things go great you're just like let's do this this is awesome
1: (laughs) exactly it's it's so true and i want to answer your question because you asked me how did i get into sports i wasn't looking to get into sports and what we hear often i've been in in sports and entertainment for a little over three years now but what we hear often as the intro statement when people are interested in joining is sports is my life yeah i just want to be there I've, i've played soccer my whole life so that means i need to work at a soccer club unfortunately everyone it's not that linear. It's not just about a passion for soccer. We ultimately end up hiring people who are passionate about crocheting, who are passionate about photography. Because what we're looking to hire here and at a lot of innovative organizations is you hire passion. You can shape that. But oftentimes people, what we, what we run into is that oh I'm, I'm just a fan i'm a fanatic and that does not necessarily translate into success productivity. Um, partnerships collaboration that just means you're going to be there at all the games cheering <laughs> and those are what we call fans.
0: It's so true. And like, literally we could, we could end this in, we're not going to, but we could end this interview right now. And that could be the overarching yeah. point that everybody gets out of this. And hopefully that would make yeah. a big enough difference between, because I've hired my entire career and we don't hire fans. Fans are distracted. Fans yeah. are always looking for, for their moment rather than being a part of the team and part of the business organization. And, and so your point is so spot on and I just hope everybody will listen to it. That's not a differentiator yeah. saying you're a huge fan. Yeah. what can you you bring to the organization, right?
1: Absolutely. And that's what I thought about when it came to the sports world. I was working in financial services, nine to five environment, dressing up pumped in a sheath dress every day. And I was miserable. I was doing HR. I had been promoted into that role. Um, It was the highest level role at the time. It was a director with um, a financial services company. And I just wasn't happy. And what I missed from my days in retail and missed from my days in technology at Microsoft was the customer interaction. I realized right then and there, I was not meant to sit behind a door and wait for the action to come. To me. So I saw an opportunity in Atlanta with AMB Sports and Entertainment and everything about it just resonated with me. But the one thing I'll point out was Arthur Blink is has very strong cultural values. If you're familiar with Arthur, you know, he came from from Home Depot mm-hmm. and was instrumental in creating their value wheel and its an actual wheel there. And he did the same thing with his own companies is he builds the culture on core values. And it just resonated very strongly with me, especially coming from a, a global Microsoft where you have to establish those values because you have 100,000 employees across the globe. So you've got to be very clear in who you are. That's what Microsoft did and does very well. They are very clear in who they are. Their vision, your, their vision mission, and values are still the same today as they were when I was there in 2012. Because when you're at that size, you got to know who you are and you got to own it. So then when you think about a and b it was like yes this is home not only is this atlanta i'm born and raised in atlanta it's sports and entertainment which is going to allow me to get back in front of that customer we're going to know immediately if we have provided a wow experience the teams could be winning or losing on the field but that's not how you assess success entirely you're walking you know you're walking the concourse Our families laughing and smiling. Did someone drop a drink on the ground and are now, you know, frustrated because the line is long. So I realized that in sports and entertainment, everything that I enjoy doing, not the fanatical, I like sports. I I do sports, um, do meaning watch, um, (laughs) watch sports in my personal time, but that's not what drew me. That's not what drew me into the sports and entertainment world. It was the people. It was both the internal customer, which is our staff. I'm like, Hey, anywhere you can wear jeans and (laughs) athletic pullovers and tennis shoes, sign me up. And then it was our customers like you literally, we were bringing families together and you do that in sports. You, you know, you bring different political views together and people are celebrating. So the enthusiastic environment and the fast paced And then the customer interaction were the three defining characteristics where I was like, you know what, this could be a great merger of everything I've been through.
0: Yeah, I feel very much the same way. Like when I first got into the sports industry, it was that urgency and pace and connection to an audience. Like I've spent my entire career trying to engage with an audience, give them information or content they needed, whether it was news day, uh, like breaking news of the day, or whether it was trying to give them advice like this, like engaging in that forum and being able to see that intensity of sports and the passion and the people that are so into it just makes it feel more important. I don't know that it is, but it makes it feel special, right? I mean, there's something about it. Um, go ahead.
1: No, it, you're, you're, you're certainly right. It shows up very quickly. You don't have to wait till the end of the week. You don't have to see a report. Yeah. That can validate. You can feel whether you are doing the, the show, the production, the game, the customer experience. You can feel if you're doing it right in that moment. So I think about, were there any moments when I, you know, I had this storied career in these large organizations, and then you go to sports and entertainment, you think my toolbox and my toolkit is, is stacked and I'm ready to go. Again, heck no. You show up in the sports world and there is, I haven't been anywhere in my life yet. That is quite um, as make it happen. There is where the value of you being able to make it happen, to take uh, the resources that you have, which in the sports world typically are not vast, but to take what you have and to make it happen. So that could be a customer experience that could be in production, that could be in communication, that can be in, I mean, like in any of our departments at any given moment, you just find out we've got to pivot. And there's no time to complain about what was in the three months you spent on this. Guess what? Change of venue. We're now not playing at this stadium. We're going to this stadium. (laughs) And the game is on Thursday. (laughs) What I've realized in the hiring process is a lot of times um, it's not the best environment for everyone. That that passion for soccer and sport is not going to help you when you're expected to make it happen. What's going to help you are those skills and those experiences that you've had in life. And it doesn't have to be at a Microsoft. It could be on a a JV baseball team. It could be in a church or religious group. It could be in a, a social group. But let's talk about those times where you had to make a decision without all the information. What did you take into account? So that alone is an interview question, <laughs> but yeah. that's what happens in sports. We are expected to pivot and shift at the, at the drop of a dime. And if you're talking about these global companies, they don't shift. They're not very nimble. They're not expected to be nimble. When you're talking sports and entertainment, we wake up prepared for the whole plan to change.
0: So I've just decided in this very moment that I want to work at NYCFC. So um, if you see my resume come across, maybe you should pay attention. I don't know. Uh, because I'm ready to run through a wall for you. I mean, you, you are amazing. Uh, and I, oh, just, I love the passion and the excitement. It's just it's it's what I'm always drawn to, whether it's in music or art or anything. It's like people that are passionate, the people that are really into what they're doing you just find this natural charisma and drawn, like you're just drawn to them. Yeah, I am. I I don't know if that's the case for everybody, but I am very much. Okay, so I don't wanna spend a ton of time looking backward. We all know 2020 was a mess. Uh, I'd rather spend most of our time thinking about how we move forward and what's coming ahead, but there's an interesting timeline that you went through personally. September 2019 was when you joined NYCFC. You are now, February 29th is the season starts. March 12th, the league suspends play. So you are a new employee in September. You're trying to make massive changes. You're trying to get ready for the start of your first season. And then all of this blows up. What were your kind of initial fears from an HR perspective? And how do you think now, looking back a year later or close to a year later, that the MLS and NYCFC and you and your team, how do you think you weathered what was a kind of awful year?
1: I would say that anyone who is reflecting now needs to give themselves a little grace. Yeah. Last year was difficult for everyone, personally, professionally, organizations, nonprofits. Everyone felt the, the intensity of last year. So accept that. Don't fight that. I think one of the first things that I personally felt in the leadership capacity um, at NYCFC, responsible for the people capacity at NYCFC, was what are we going to lose? What does this mean? And that's the very first question a lot of us went through is, okay, we're going to move to a remote work environment, but what does this mean? You immediately feel like you're losing something. And I think what I was very instrumental in doing at the club at the time is just being transparent about how people were feeling. We're not going to mask anything. We're not going to hide anything. Everyone is scared. We don't know the answers about, you know, positions and roles and reductions, which we are very proud of because we have not had any reductions in the past 12, um, in in, in retrospect, in 2020. That's amazing. have any negative impact on any of our employees in 2020. And we are proud of that decision. But I can tell you there were months where staff was concerned. Mm -hmm. They were asking questions you could hear in their tones. You You could hear what they weren't asking. So that fear was just very real and we owned it. We didn't run from it. We just told everyone we don't know what we're doing. There is no textbook. There are no best practices. I can't reach out to a peer. Nobody knows what they're doing. (laughs) So this is the time that we've got to hold tight on what we do have, which is each other and our passion for the sport, the team and the city. And we were able to do some really amazing work. over the course of 2020. And I think the work that we've done in helping to support the South Bronx is something we're super proud of. We were able to donate 200,000 meals to South Bronx residents through our New York common pantry program, 200,000. Wow.
0: That's That's, 200. all. That's incredible.
1: It is. And 200 would have even been great. Mm-hmm. That means, you know, at the time people weren't leaving home. Yeah, Kids weren't in school. And I don't know if people realize that the majority of kids in the U.S. eat lunches and meals and breakfast at school. So it's it's more than just going to learn. For some, it is life. Yeah. So we were able to help with 200,000 um, meals. We created a COVID-19 co-created. We didn't create it on our own, but with the Yankees to create a $1.4 million COVID disaster relief program. So even in the craziness, remember, I told you, we just we held true to who we were and we figured out people are hurting people are scared how can we help we can't fix this we can't solve it we can't change it but we can just chip away and kind of do our part and that's something that that we're very very proud of but it was bumpy and we're open as a leadership team with our staff about it we don't have the answers we might tell you one thing it might change i want to give a special shout out to uh new york presbyterian dr ahmad and Dr. Lee were super helpful. We did something really cool. We had all staff meetings every week. We had weekly communications going out to the staff. And what we were able to do is have, not a real doctor, because all doctors are real, but a doctor that was on the front lines would join our all staff calls on a weekly basis and update us on what they were seeing, what was going on, what we needed to be mindful of, whatever- That's amazing. Yeah, it was one of those things that we just, you know, we have a team doctor. And we said, hey, do you mind jumping on the call? And he jumped on the call, and this would be between service and the hospital. And he would say, we're out of hospital beds. I need you all to stay home. He he told us it several times. Remember, at one point there was, do you wear a mask? Do you not wear a mask? We went through that with the staff. No, they're saying it's not a big deal. And then he jumped on the call, and he was like, get a mask. Get a mask now and wear one. And it gave the staff an opportunity to ask questions and engage with a resident expert, a subject matter expert. So when we talk about things that we observed, we just figured it out. Remember, I talked about make it happen. (laughs) You've got fear. How do you help?
0: I'm, I'm blown away and, and I don't mean that in a in a puffery sense like I really mean like to take the assets that you have right mm-hmm. and to say how can we utilize these in this, this crazy time how can we benefit our employees that goes directly to culture that goes directly to like people feeling like they're your employees feeling like they're a part of the team and a part of the organization and it's like you don't even want to get business thought in this it's just the right thing to do right it's like how can we help and it's not only helping people outside the organization, it's helping the people inside your organization. And and that is like the attitude that just needs to be out there for everybody, right?
1: And that's what we relied on. We just relied on who we are. And that's when you talk about knowing who you are and having a brand. We had done some work in that space, not much because you mentioned the timeline, but we did that. We had community groups. We called from within. We said, Hey, is there anybody on the call who could share recipes? We're gonna set up a line at 5.30 on next Wednesday and share some cool recipes. We had someone who was teaching guitar, and this is from the staff, teaching how to play the guitar in a 30 minute segment. We had uh, people teaching languages. So of course, not a formal sit down class, but we we have staff members that speak various languages. So we're like, hey, set up a call and do conversational Portuguese, do conversational Spanish. So again, like you said, taking your assets and not assuming we've got to throw everything out. What do we have? What can we do with this? And then let's reimagine those assets. So it was certainly helpful. And I can be honest, the staff was very supportive. When we did our Pulse Survey, which is a employee satisfaction survey, it was something that we got a lot of recognition on is, we feel like the club cares and we didn't get more money you know we didn't get an influx of money make do with what you have and be transparent and honest i would say
0: but i I, and i'll be honest with you i've worked at multiple corporations and when i felt connected to the place that i was working and it mattered to me and i knew that they cared about me I'm not saying I raised my game a little bit, but I think subconsciously you do too. Like you just feel like you're a part of something and that it matters and that they care for you. And it's like, people don't spend enough time thinking about culture, I don't think, you know? And that needs to be a massive focus going forward. And it sounds like so much like your organization and brand and, and just all of it has been surrounded by this idea of how do we make this a place that people want to be and feel a part of what we're doing?
1: And that's that is almost pinpoint what I have taken as a um, an individual focus in my role. What do I what impact do I want to make at this? Yeah. And that is definitely straight up the alley of, of where I'm trying to roll this bowling ball is that culture will hold us together. No one expected last year to happen. And, and that's not even mentioning we're still talking about spring. We're not getting into the summertime when we when social unrest You know took the country by storm but again where's the playbook on that where's the the protest occurring 22 days in a row from from morning to night um so uh, we didn't have that playbook so what did we do again we just decided we don't have the answers let's create conversations and environment where people feel comfortable sharing and we created a series called courageous conversations And we didn't just open the floor up and say, just spew it all out. Um, I I used some questions to kind of guide the conversation. How's everyone feeling? Just to get people to acknowledge that we're all processing. And I'm talking about the summer social unrest. Yeah, no,
0: I love that you're talking about it, go.
1: Yeah, how how are we feeling? Some people were scared, some people were angry, some people were ashamed. And we had to get that all out there to realize that we're all processing this differently. No one, more, no one better or you know, in a different position than anyone else. It's creating an emotion. So let's talk about that. And it was the first time I remember talking to the CEO at the time. I said, you know what, these are issues that typically do not relate to the work environment. But if we care about our people, what they experience out, outside of work influences who they are at work. And we can't deny that. I remember being on calls for the first few days and you start the call and you're like, hey, Brian, how you doing? I'm great. Everything's great. No, I'm staying up until two in the morning watching CNN. I'm horrified at night. Yeah. Like we were avoiding that whole conversation because it's not professional. And that wasn't fair to our staff. So we took those air quotes off of not professional and we dug in and said, no, is anybody else up at one thirty on CNN when... Typically it goes to remakes or, or, or any other, you know, channel sport, not sports channel, but any other news yep. channel right. outlet, MSNBC, Fox news, people were glued to their TV sets and then expected to live normal lives. And we just pulled the blinders off and, and we had conversations and we didn't try to fix anyone. We didn't try to influence anyone, but we wanted to create a culture and an environment where people felt safe and heard, and that the club knew we were recognizing what was going on in the world.
0: I love the humanity aspect of this conversation. It's like you were saying earlier, like you have to have some grace for yourself, right, for 2020 living through it. You have to be able to take it easy on yourself. And that comes through in all of these little parts of, not little, but all these parts of last year is like, Everyone has to be allowed to feel their feelings, right? You can't tell somebody how to feel or how they should react to something. And everybody needs to have an opportunity to express that in a safe manner. Like, like I love the fact that you're not saying, hey, we have work to do. Everybody get back to the grind. We have things to do. We have to check the box and get them done. No, you're saying these are people. These are actually humans that we respect and we care about. We want them to be thriving and, and complete in a mental way too, so the way we want them to be the best version that they can, and this is what they need right now. Like, it's not like we have to check the box and make sure these things get done. It's like, we gotta make sure that everybody's okay.
1: And and that showed up very much in our environment. And you, you know, just the topic of, of what came from that, what started as social unrest led to this intensity around DNI. and again, most organizations had not really explored that terrain, but you kind of felt forced. It was the time. I mean, it's the movement. We've got to do more wherever we are. Everybody can do more. And we, of course, bought into that as well. We created a DNI council. We came up with, you know, a starting 11 initiatives that the club was agreeing to. But larger than that, we admitted that we knew not just our club but sports in general has not been the most pioneering in that space it's so true yeah there's some leagues that had embraced dni you know a little sooner than others nba being one they had identified dni leaders in their organizations uh, prior years but in most of the leagues it was something that we hadn't been forced to to reflect on Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden it was important and the reality is, is most teams are owned by white men. And that's in the U.S. That's not necessarily across the world, but it probably is across the world. I can only yeah. tell you this. So you were encouraging a group of leaders to have a conversation that was not very familiar and intimate with them. And what I'm most proud of at our club is our leaders said, let's do this. Let's go head in. Let's not just come up with initiatives to check box. What we talked about as a leadership team at our club is let's do the work. The work is going to be a journey, but let's do the work. Let's just not check the boxes. So I just want to be very transparent in sharing that it was diversity and inclusion in sports in general, is, it was an afterthought. It is no longer an afterthought and we are participating in that as well we are we've identified a dni consultant that's helping us we're trying to figure out what we can do better and how we can better support the the inclusion and staff that we do have
0: so let's dig deeper into that because i think most people may be even surprised to hear this is that i think a lot of young people now maybe assume dni diversity and inclusion is something that's been around for a long time but in reality this is like within the last five years of the sports industry as a whole. I mean, I remember talking with some people with the Atlanta Hawks and when they hired Zynga Shaw uh, to be their chief diversity officer, um, she was like the first, and this was not that long ago. This was four or five years ago. And she left, and after a couple of years, she left and went to Starbucks, and she was the first diversity and inclusion officer at Starbucks. So it's across industries. And so uh, let me ask you, because I've been in the industry since 1996. I've, I've worked with all different types of people. I've always loved it, a diverse environment. I've worked in Atlanta. I've worked in Seattle. I've worked in Denver. I've worked now in Philadelphia. Um, I've been a lot of different places across the country. And so I've always been very adept and used to a diverse and inclusive work uh, workplace and loved that. Why has it taken so long for us to make this a focus? I mean, you've been in hiring, and and human resources, and structural organizational concepts for a long time. Why has it taken us so long to get here?
1: Because my opinion is, you can't solve or fix diversity and inclusion. It is a continuum. So when you typically employ resources or, or add resources to something, it's to solve. It's to fix. And we're talking about a a concept that you cannot fix or solve. It's not easy. So when most people talk about diversity, inclusion, the quick answer is, Oh, that's representation. So look around the room. Are you diverse? And is there diversity because they're, they're different complexions and different heights that's people oftentimes, especially prior to now ended the conversation with visual representation. So it's a continuum, meaning that once you get the visual representation right, you then got to talk about thought, the diversity of thought, the diversity of experiences. You know, you talk about veteran status, you talk about gender, you talk about, you know, our people think about this. I'm from the South. Five years ago, New York city probably would not have hired a sports leader from Atlanta. Oh, this is New York city. We've got plenty of talent in it in New York city. Why would I go hire someone from Atlanta? Why would I hire someone from Atlanta without a a deep background in sports and entertainment? So that's all diversity. But then you have the inclusion part, which is about taking what you have and celebrating that and storytelling what you do have. What are the stories? What are the voices? Who are the portraits of your your staff, your community, your city? And then the other piece is the equity. So it's I mean, if you think about what's in front of us, a lot of times it is so complex that it's easier just to retreat. Because where do I start? I'm going to you know, I'm going to put forth two years worth of work and I've only scratched the surface on the diversity part. (laughs) I haven't even gotten to the inclusion. We've had a few parties to celebrate different ethnicities. Yep. mm, Not quite in the inclusion. Have we talked about pay equity and, the, and the, the gap between pay with men and women between different races? So it's, it's such a large topic that people, it's scary. We didn't get here overnight. We're talking hundreds of years of experience, not experience of, of systems and processes that have been constructed to get us here. So the question is, are we really trying to peel back this onion? And if you are, your DE and I work is 10 years from truly being impactful. But you got to admit that to people.
0: I love that honesty. And it does come from the top. It's like somebody, somebody within each organization needs to say, this isn't just something we're doing for PR. This is something we're doing because it needs to happen. It's important. And it's in its deep, right? Yeah, Not just surface level. We got to be willing to go deep and invest in it and make fundamental changes that can push our organization forward and be in on the leadership side of things rather than the trailing side of things.
1: And face the truth around it. I think Lots we found yep. Yeah, we found the we found a theme in our environment and it was removing barriers to access. So we didn't even realize that we were participating in creating fences to keep people out. Well, you have, to, you have to have a sporting background. Well, guess what? If you've been in sports, there wasn't much diversity five years ago. So if that's your number one indicator, you're not gonna get very far. Oh, well, you have to speak Spanish if the players speak Spanish. Well, that rules out people who speak French. <laughs> so if we look for ways to keep people out versus open the doors and kind of focus on those similarities, that's been something that has, has been a hindrance. Removing those barriers to access it truly influences that um, inclusion piece.
0: I mean, that's huge. It really is. And it, you say it that way, and it, it sparks so many thoughts in my mind, too, of like, it's so easier to, it's so much easier to put up boundaries and yeah. to, to make things funnel down to a very exacting place than it is to open things wide and to consider everything. It's just easier, right? And that's probably why things... There's a lot of layers to why, but that's one major reason is just ease, right? I mean, like it's
1: it's less scary. It's less scary.
0: (laughs) It's so hard. Gosh. I mean, I'm just so glad that we're finally making some progress in this regard. And I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to say this in any kind of a patronizing way to anybody listening. Like this is long overdue and I've been in the industry for a long time and seen a lot of problems in this regard. And it's glad to just see some level of progress. So DNI is a huge one, obviously, as you think about HR and town acquisition and people and culture and all those different aspects of running an organization. Are there other trends or other things that have been kind of sitting on the back burner that we should be taking a more aggressive look at? Are there other approaches that we should be really thinking about and investing in and making a, a trend for the future, maybe something that's been overlooked?
1: Yeah, one thing that comes to mind is data and analytics. We have always been familiar with data and analytics on the field. And that's in any sport you play, the statistics of who's hitting the ball, who's kicking the ball, who's receiving, what are the goals, what are the blocks, who's running. We knew all of that, but I would say in the recent years, there has been an influx of using the data and analytics to tell the story of the fan and the staff. So it's helping to tell the story of the club and it's making sure you're marketing appropriately so I would suggest that anyone who is in school, you know, when we talk about people who are interested in, in sports and entertainment, we often hear, well, you know, I went to, I got a degree in, in sport marketing and that means I'm ready for, you know, the, the next level in, in the sporting industry. And I would say those who are in statistics and have mathematical backgrounds and who can, um, probability, like all of those skills and topics are very valuable now. I can tell you that across all leagues, it is the one department that is growing at a faster pace than others. So gone are the days where you just have one business analytics leader. We're building out those teams now. We're now having the business analytics team partner with the marketing team, partner with the communications team to figure out, you know, all right, we're exerting a lot of effort here, but are we getting our return? So you all will hear, and speaking to the audience, you'll hear ROI, return on investment. That is, in any business model, a key indicator of success. How much energy do, energy do you exert and what are you getting in return for that? So business analytics helps tell that story. I think the storytelling in general, and that's where comms comes in, is super important. With all this stuff going on, with a pandemic, with social unrest, with... Um, A general election this past fall, uh, winter. Like, with all of that going on, gone are the days that the the club is just sit to the side, you all are just a soccer club, shut up, don't say anything. We have Sean Johnson on our club, who we're super proud of. He is hugely impactful on the Black Players for Change um, coalition, and he has a voice. What you see more now in sports is people having a voice. So, that storytelling and your communications team is super important because no one wants you reporting the news. This is less about just player trades and and acquisitions. This is, it's so much bigger than that now, and it used to be. So that, that club having an authentic voice is super important. So those are two that come to mind, um, the analytics and then just the storytelling and connecting that to building something grand is are the two that stand out for me.
0: I love how that ties into all the bigger discussions we're having, too, because if you think of a large organization like Microsoft, for example, we'll just go to that. You know- Bill Gates goes out there and says something, and that establishes a culture within the organization, right? He goes out in the press and says something, has a viewpoint, has a, you know, and, and everybody feels that with that works for Microsoft. They know that they're part of representing that. For you, the athletes are part of that, a major part of that voice. And when they go out and speak, they establish part of the culture, and they establish what you stand for, and they establish what meaning is, and all those sort of things, right? So it's important to let that happen in a real sense, And to be able to let them tell their stories, to let them give a behind the scenes look of what they do and to make make everyone feel connected to them as humans. They're not something on a lofty perch. They're there, right? They're a part of it.
1: It's so true. Gone are those trophy athletes. Yeah. Poor athletes that, you know, have a story and share it and and are comfortable sharing that it wasn't easy to get here. These are the obstacles. This is what I'm proud of. You know, I had a tough game like that. Authentic voice is what we're valuing um, as fans now more than ever. And the club has to help deliver that when you talk about pivoting and make it happen we couldn't talk to fans in the stands anymore. So now you've got to talk to them in their homes with everything else going on in the world. So I completely agree with you. It's it's fun to watch and it will, it will change.
0: I, I get geeked up on the storytelling side. So you'll probably, now, now I'm getting all like, I'm getting all excited like you are, you know, they're talking about all this stuff. So um, let's get it deeper into the staffing side a little bit because I know that's what a lot of people in our audience really, really want to know more about from a tactical and strategic standpoint. Obviously, you play a major role in creating the people strategy at NYCFC. Is there a common denominator that you look for for employees at NYCFC? I know we're talking about removing barriers and not having people too segmented and that we're opening things up, but are there certain traits that you're looking for? And like, are there certain must-have attributes? And how do you find and identify those people that are going to be complementary to who you are as an organization?
1: Those are some really great questions and should help the audience navigate the sporting industry in general. We talked about it at the beginning. Being passionate is a characteristic that cannot be created. So it's something that we look for. Now, mind you, everyone's not going to be passionate in how they communicate. Everyone's not going to be passionate, you know, necessarily for soccer. But what we're looking for is that burning in the belly. What What is it in your life that you were passionate about? It could be family, it could be cooking, it could be animals, it could be poetry. But when you are in an interview setting, it's important for you to show up as a person. A lot of times, um, entry-level roles, when we're doing, um, not applications, interviews for those entry positions, people show up trying to be what we want them to be, what they think we want them to be comes across as robotic and unauthentic. So what I encourage each person considering, not just in the sporting world, is identify who you are. What makes you different from your friends? What makes you different from your siblings? And own and and possess that. And think about how that can make an organization, a department, or a team. Maybe you haven't worked in the professional environment for very long. But if you put me on a team, this is what I can bring to that team. And It's not, I'm a sports fan. It's not, I, you know, I'm always a leader. I'm very smart. Those aren't the things that are going to make that team better. What makes that team better is, you know, I'm good at problem solving. When people argue, I have a way of, of kind of moderating and helping us focus on a goal. When we're in a team environment, I'm pretty creative. I'm structured. These are just the different voices I'm giving you. I'm structured and organized. So on a team, I help keep us on task. So imagine yourself joining said team. Don't make it necessarily the the company you're, you're interviewing for. But if you're joining a team, what do you bring to any group? And I would start with that. We all like to hire learners. I I heard from I can't remember her last name, Misty. She was a gold medalist um, volleyball, beach volleyball player. Mm -hmm. And I was able to hear her speak. And she said when she played sports back in high school, she played basketball. She's tall. She played basketball, and she didn't begin playing volleyball until later. I think it was college. If not college, it might have been late high school. And she said the one compliment she always got was that she was coachable. And that's always resonated with me. Is the ability to be coachable will get you further than the best talent in the room? Is the ability for someone to, to provide you with critical feedback. It might not feel good. It might not be what you want to hear, but realizing that you can improve, it goes back to that growth mindset that no one is perfect and that we all should be aspiring to get better. James even talks about the growth mindset and saying that if LeBron James is an MVP, multiple you know year MVP, um, champion, championship rings on multiple fingers, if he can communicate that each day he wakes up, he could get better. I think we all need to look at ourselves and figure out what are we doing to get better. And then we tie in that whole failing piece. When have you failed? When have you tried something that was out of your comfort zone? Those are the stories we like to hear in that interview setting. So you can expect that in an interview setting, there are going to be a series of tell me about a time. Now, in a Microsoft environment, in a Target environment, a Coca-Cola environment, you will likely hear that exact phrase. Tell me about a time where you such and such. In other environments, it might not be tell me about a time. It might be, have you ever had to make a decision without all of the details? And in your head, you should think, tell me about a time you've had to make a decision without all the details. They're gonna ask you a series of questions that are, all behavioral based and trying to figure out who you are and how you lead. So they wanna know what, what are your strengths? What are your opportunities? That catches people up all the time. People don't like to talk about what they're not good at, mm-hmm. but you have to be self-aware enough to share a piece, something that you're focusing on to get better. They wanna know about a difficult decision that you've made. They wanna know about a time you failed. And this is not a, oh, well, I failed my biology test last week. No, this is I shared some personal information of a friend and it ruined the relationship because you know what we want to know as your employer. How did that feel and what did you do differently? Mm -hmm. Because that will make you a better person. We're not stuck on the fact that you shared some information that you shouldn't have. But what did you do when you felt at that low point? Did you get stuck? Did you reflect and figure out how you could be better? So those are those moments. They're going to ask you about communication. How do you. How do you manage team members who aren't carrying their weight? These are all things, regardless of your level of experience that you have encountered. The question is, do you realize the importance that they have on you being a member of a team or an organization? So those are five questions. If you all jot those down and play them back, rewind them, and if you could give answers to that, you're probably forty percent through most standard interviews. <laughs>
0: You're in a really good spot if you can handle those conversations for sure. Uh, I, I there's so many things that I was making mental notes on as you were talking. I've said for years my th- my three most important things were hiring was that I was looking for people that were curious. Coachable, competitive. Like those were the three things that always stood out to me. I wanted that continual learner. I wanted somebody who was coachable and were willing to like be taught and go to improve. And then, you know, I, I like people who are competitive. I'm just drawn to them too. Um, so there's so many great parts in that too. And, and you're right, these behavioral interview questions where it's like, Tell me about a time. Give me the story. because then that makes your resume come to life, too. It's not just you said you did this thing. It's like, I want to hear you talk about it. I want to hear you really explain what you've done, what your thought process was, what you may have do differently if you were doing it again, you know, proof in the concept that you've actually done it.
1: So one piece of feedback I'll give on that because it made me you made me think of it. I often give the advice that resumes are like menus. A menu is a menu is a menu. It's meant to show what said establishment sells. The difference is you want your menu to be that a la carte menu, that fine dining experience where I don't have to put anything in your hands. You know, if I'm the waiter, I'm not putting anything in your hands. I'm either showing you, I'm holding the lobster in my hand to show you we sell lobsters. You're not reading it on a line. What you don't want is for your resume to be a McDonald's menu. We all know what's on a McDonald's menu. I don't care where in the country you live. You know, they've got hamburgers, cheeseburgers, Happy Meals, Big Macs, and chicken nuggets. And a Sunday, I mean, we know what's on that menu. And it does not inspire us or properly communicate anything about said hamburger, which we know was thrown in the microwave to be heated up. You want your resume and you want your brand to tell a story so much broader than that. You want a fine dining experience. So when you're looking at a resume, that is your menu. You are showing the company, this this is who I am. So make sure it represents. It needs to tell a story. It needs to show where you've been and it needs to show what you're aspiring to do.
0: Callie, this is amazing. There, there's like 15 questions that I haven't even had a chance to ask you, but we've gone on for a really long time and I want to be respectful of your schedule and your time. So I'm going to ask you now and put you on the spot. Like I need to have you come back and be on the show again in like six months. We'll do this again sometime. I hope we can have that conversation. I do want to finish up with one last thought. Um, after last year, it's hard to be in the prediction game. Like everything we thought was going to happen last year prior to March, didn't, right? The whole world turned upside down in so many different ways. So I'm not going to like put you on the spot too much, but maybe a little bit. Um, what do you think the demand for hiring will be in 2021? Uh, because you made this, I mean, I, it stood out to me, and I will to everybody listening, the fact that you were able to maintain your staff at NYCFC and not have to go through some of those contractions that other organizations did. Um, I don't even mean it just specific to your brand, like as you think of the sports industry in 2021 as a larger thing, as you think of the world in a way, what do you think will start to happen in 2021? Will there be certain areas that are in high demand, others that are just changing forever? Do you think things will still be kind of stagnant? Like, what do you see as you kind of look at it in a broad lens?
1: I don't see it as stagnant. So I am hopeful by nature and optimistic. I don't see it as stagnant. I think what most businesses and clubs are doing at the moment are reimagining how they deliver services. You've got to realize everyone knows if we're not hiring, then we're not growing and we're not involving and we're not scaling. So no business is going to want to stay stagnant. I think what you're going to see is very specific and intentional hires. So each hire is either need to going to drive the internal value of an organization or the external value. So gone are the days that you're just hiring a room full of sales associates. Your sales associates now have to have a a wider breadth of experience. They've got to be engaging. They have to be flexible. They have to go from selling to, you know, um, to storytelling. So you're you're looking for people who are more resilient and less specific with their skills. So I would would hesitate for anyone to go narrow and deep right now. Now is the time to show that I am an HR leader who understands business um, financials. I am a comms leader who can deliver a tough message and partner like there's gotta be more to your story now. Gone are the days that you can just be, I'm a finance analyst and I just wanna sit in front of my computer and run numbers for the organization. You gotta give us more. So I don't think anyone desires to stay where we are. I do think, Clubs and companies will continue to hire this year, but I don't think mass hiring is going to be the same and there's a lot of talk about these video interviews they're here they're here to stay, we were doing them in Atlanta three four years ago. um, And I think they're here to stay And one of the main reasons draws us back to D and I the goal of some of those is to reduce some of the uh, implicit and unconscious bias. So some of those initial filters, instead of it being a person who we know um, could display some of those biases, if you create a artificial intelligence or if you create some type of system that uh, assesses everybody similarly in the entry stage, you can remove bias out of a step—not remove, but lessen bias—in one step of the hiring process. So I would say get comfortable, which means get comfortable practicing in the mirror. It means you have to show up. You've got to have presence. You've got to have something to say. Nobody wants the McDonald's menu. So when you get that opportunity, it's not by chance. You were selected. One parting piece of information I will give you is when you get to that interview stage, it's not the time to read your resume. You got the interview because the assumption is that you can do the job. Now the question is, what do you bring to that team? Now the question is, how are you different than the other people? People are trying to assess, can I and do I want to work with person on the other end? You wouldn't get the interview if they didn't think you could do the job based on your resume. So own that moment. Pat yourself on the back when you get that invite. And the last piece of advice, own it. Own it. And I'm going to ask you when I come back, when is the last time you failed?
0: Uh, me? Oh, I could lift off a lift off hundred. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> could, we could go another hour on that. Um, so it's funny, during these uh, interviews, I take a lot of notes personally. I have four pages of notes with stars everywhere, underlines, time. There's so many pieces of advice that you gave in there that I think is so instrumental. One of the things I want to couple on to what you just said is when you get that interview and I'm talking to the audience now, when you get that interview and they've looked at your resume and they've already kind of figured out that you have the skill set, and you're talking to them about other things about you realize that that other person is not your enemy. They're not your adversary. They want you to be awesome. They want you to be the answer to their problem. They want you to be the solution. They are your friend. They are your advocate. Like people go into this frame of mind sometimes of I, I, I'm they're going to be like all over me and they're going to be challenging me and they're going to be mean and they're going to be pointing out my Flaws, and it's like no. Just open yourself up to the conversation. Be your best version of yourself, and realize that they are hoping that you are the perfect match.
1: They they are hoping that you do well. So show up, and don't be afraid to to start it off and say, "I'm a little nervous. I'm really excited about this opportunity." Yes. So if I, if I fumble, just know that I'm I'm super excited to be here. Because
0: like, that's authentic. That's real.
1: Yeah. It's so real. I've so thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and I would You're love You're
0: amazing. It. You are amazing. Like I'm serious this entire time. I'm like, I, this is just, a, just such a fantastic conversation and the, you represent the, the culture of NYCFC and the entire MLS brand. And it's so amazing to hear all the things that you were sharing and just the, the spirit you bring to the organization. So thank you so much for joining me today.
1: You are very welcome. Thanks for having me, Brian.
0: Thank you so much to Callie for coming on the show. Her passion just exudes, right? Don't you just feel it? Like I meant it halfway through the interview when I said, um, you're awesome. I want to come work for you. I want to run through a wall for you. Like I'm inspired by your passion and energy for this industry and the way you represent the culture at NYCFC. Sounds like an amazing place to work. And thank you for sharing that little window and how you guys operate, Callie amazing stuff. Thanks to all of you for listening. Please, as always, subscribe to the show, share it with a friend, rate and review wherever you listen. That's the sort of stuff that makes a difference for us in the long run. It makes our numbers go up. It makes it easier to book guests. It makes the content continue to get better. It's really important for us as we continue to grow this product to serve you all better. So thanks for listening and let's get back to work in 2021. Shall we?